So a few years ago, I took a group of teenagers uh, to New York City on this mission trip. And we were hooked up with this group that was going to show us how to do urban ministry really well. And they kept us very busy, but in the middle of the week, we did have a free day where we got to go see New York City and uh, see all the sights that we could see that they had never seen before. And we got to see a Broadway show, which was great, and it got out late. And so we went out for dinner afterwards, a late dinner. And so by the time we got out of the restaurant, because we were a big group, so it took a while to serve us, uh, it was after midnight. And so it was about a 25-minute walk to get back to our home base, which is nothing if you're used to New York living, but uh, we had a lot of people with blisters at that point. And so they begged, and we got on the subway. And if anyone has spent any time in New York, uh, getting on the subway after midnight's a little iffy, not because of the... Uh, switchblade gangs that you see in the movies, that's not really it at all, uh, but actually because of construction. They really, really like doing construction between midnight and 4 a.m., and oftentimes you're already on the train when they decide to do construction, and then the train just goes somewhere else. It's great. And so that's exactly what happened to us. We were on the train, and then we hear a little voice, uh, ladies and gentlemen, sorry, due to construction, the train and Eventually, we figure out that that means, oh, the train's going somewhere that's not where we want to go. That's cool. Okay. So then it was my job to figure out, okay, so now how do we get from that other place to the right train that is taking us to where we want to go? And it took a few because the other two trains that we got on were on construction, too. So it took a while, and we got back to our home base at about 3.15 in the morning. And we were supposed to get up for our early meeting at 7 o'clock to get ready for our morning mission. Our morning mission uh, that following morning was getting on the Staten Island Ferry and just sharing the gospel with people. It's about a half an hour to Staten Island, a half an hour back. And so our whole job was just, hey, people in New York like to talk. They like to get into conversations. So this is your opportunity to just get into a conversation and talk to people about Jesus. And so you kind of, for a lot of people, you can imagine that would be pretty scary and pretty intimidating. So they have to be emotionally on, right? But we didn't get to bed until 3.45, woke up at 6.45. So everyone stumbles into the meeting room, and they are not in a very good mood. And they are mad at each other and just annoyed at life. And everyone's trying to find, you know, two minutes extra sleep uh, in the chairs. And they always gave us a leader. And sometimes those leaders were college interns who were coming to intern with this particular organization. And so this 20-year-old girl, sorry for the college kids, 20-year-old young lady, um, comes into the room and she sees everyone's status. And she's a little concerned. She's like, oh, wow, what happened? And, uh, and so everyone launches into the story and everyone's really sad and upset. And, oh, poor us, this happened, blah, 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 no sleep. And, and she's like, oh, wow, okay, so rough night. And now you get to um, go tell people about Jesus. So um, is he worth it? And we were like, what? Like, well, it was a really rough night, and now you have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. So is he worth it? And I'll cut the story short there, but we had a really good morning. We had a really, really good morning. And it all started with that question and having to answer that question for ourselves. Is he worth it? That's an important question for this morning's message, and it's something we'll come back to towards the end. But that's how I want to open us 
up, framing it that way. Um, for those who don't know, as Russ already said, my name's Eric. Uh, Lord willing, my wife Jen and I will be uh, planting the next Ignite Church in about 20 minutes away in Bartonville. And while we're raising funds for that project, and while we're learning the DNA and the vision of Ignite Church so we can carry that on, we are loving worshiping here with you guys at Ignite Downtown. Um, for those who haven't been here before or those who are, haven't been here the last few weeks, this is the third week in a series on prayer or how to pray, specifically breaking down what's known as the Lord's Prayer and looking at how that uh, can lead us into a deeper prayer life, uh, talking to the God of the universe. Uh, so Russ, in the last two weeks, he's already established that prayer, uh, as we see in this passage, prayer is not uh, a show to uh, show off, to impress other people. That's not what prayer is supposed to be. And prayer is also not a formula. It's not a special combination of words that if we say it exactly this way, then we're going to get whatever we want. That's not what prayer is. But instead, it's a, it's a key cog in a special relationship that we are offered to have with the God of the universe that we can relate to as our loving and perfect Father. And prayer also, uh, an important part of prayer, is remembering that, yes, we can relate to him as a loving Father, but we also need to remember that he is holy and he is mighty. And so a, a key aspect of prayer is taking time to lift our eyes off of our needs and our problems and look at who we're talking to. Through praise. And even though praise is one of the most neglected aspects of prayer, uh, it is so important for changing our outlook and shifting our hearts right there in the moment. So now we're looking at what else does this prayer have for us? What else is next? And so let's, let's dive back in. Let's revisit the passage, the verses that have been our home for this series and will continue to be our home for this series. We're looking at Matthew 6, 5 through 15. So you can follow along on the Ignite app on the screens or in your Bibles. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues or on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, so that's our scripture. Many fantastic breakdowns have been done of this passage and its elements. Most people who study it do not think that, uh, God, that Jesus is saying you have to pray these exact words in order to have a legitimate prayer. So the question becomes, what are the elements of this prayer that we need to include in order to deepen our lives of prayer? 
Um, so this is not the end-all, be-all, um, but it is a breakdown that I found that I think is useful. This does not mean that these, this is a preview of the next three weeks of messages. I don't know what the next three messages will be focused on, but this is a preview that's helpful for me and will help show us where we're going today. So um, number one element is praise. Then we have surrender. We have ask, forgiveness, and protection. And you can see what the verses are that correlate with those elements of it. And this is saying if you include these five elements, you've got a full prayer. And I've been practicing this more these last few weeks, and it is. It really, really helps to include all of these in your prayers. But for those A-plus students out there, if Russ hit on praise last week, that means that this week we are on... Surrender, right. So if you're waiting for an appropriate time to cheer and high-five everyone around you, now would be the time, right? Like, yeah, surrender. I love surrendering. That's my favorite topic. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, we're all thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> so that also means that our focus, uh, our time is going to be spent on just a few words of this passage, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And actually, we're going to be zeroing in on just three of those words. Your kingdom come. It's not because I'm lazy and I don't want to preach on 14 whole words. Uh, it's just because I think those three words really encompass everything that we need to say in this time, that we need to dig into in this time. So we'll keep the headlines really simple on this one. We'll spend time focusing on the your, then on kingdom, then on come. And after those three sections, we're probably going to be left with some discomfort and some questions. And so we're going to try to address that discomfort and see how this is actually possible. Okay, so let's get started. And we need to get started with uh, the fact, establishing the idea that in God's word, God makes it clear that there are times where it is either one thing or it is the other but it can't be both, right? So just a couple of instances, Jesus brings up in Matthew twelve thirty, he who is not with me is against me, either with me or against me. That's it. Those are the only two options. Matthew six twenty four, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to this one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So it's either one or it's the other. So there's no middle ground on this. And that can sound very harsh to our modern ears, but it's really not that big of a stretch to make, right? We see this in our lives in the world all the time. Like you can either, you can either save that $1,000 or you can go on the cruise, but you can't do both, right? You can either go to bed early and feel well-rested, or you can finish season four of your show. But you can't do both, right? So this is pretty simple. So if we move forward with this idea, how does this apply to our passage? Well, first we need a word game. Quick word game, uh, really simple. I'm going to say a word, and you use your actual voices to shout out the opposite of that word, okay? All right, so really simple. Here we go. All right, so... Strong. Weak. Good. Big. Small. Very good. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Tall. Short. 
Okay, or, yeah. Short or Eric would have worked on that, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, his. Yeah, very controversial in this era, but. Uh, okay, so last one. Yours. And there it is. There it is. You're saying your kingdom come. It's so the opposite of that would be my kingdom. Your kingdom or my kingdom? Some of you might be thinking, wait a second. Uh, uh, I don't know about, like, really? God's kingdom, my kingdom? And if your inner voice sounds like a southern woman with an attitude, then you might be thinking something like, okay, hold on, sweetheart. So um, we're saying God's kingdom versus my kingdom. So um, <laughs> hold on. Isn't God's kingdom like the whole universe and like the whole world and everything, you know, and you want to talk about my kingdom? Okay, so let's see. Um, I ain't got no crown. Uh, my castle has about six loads of laundry on the floor. And I can't even get my dumb dog to listen to me. So I'm sorry, sweetie, but I ain't got no kingdom. Okay, and I would say to that, uh, yes, yes, you do. You do have a kingdom. And to help illustrate that, I'm going to reference old rock music. Um, does any, are there any classic rock fans in here? Yeah, okay, a few. Any Pink Floyd fans? All right, yeah. So uh, there is this song called Wish You Were Here. One of Pink Floyd's... <laughs> one, of, one of Pink Floyd's uh, most popular songs. And it sort of sounds like a guy got wasted at a party and then, like, wandered into a back room and, like, passed out drunk in the back room. And then, like, an hour later, he, like, woke up, and there's, like, all these people in the room that are having this deep philosophical conversation. And he's like, what? And then he just says, I can do this. And then he, like, jumps in. And he's like, so, so you think you could tell heaven from hell blue skies from pain and he goes on and on and he just it keeps it keeps going and it keeps building and uh some of it is really kind of deep and some of it just sounds like poetic nonsense but it it builds slowly and it gets to the last line of the verse and it's it's probably the most universal profound lyric i've ever i've ever seen especially since becoming a christian he says did you exchange a walk-on part in the war for a lead role in a cage? And just in case it was really hard to understand drunk philosopher guy, this is what he said. Um, Did you exchange a walk-on part in the war for a lead role in a cage? Now, the, the, he's, he's combining metaphors here, but the, the primary metaphor, the first, the direct metaphor is this, uh, this combining or comparing um, walk-on part versus um, lead role. And I, Jen and I went to New York to try to do acting and stuff, so I'm kind of a nerd about this and have seen some instances of this. But uh, the basic idea, walk-on part, is exactly what it sounds like. It's you come on screen or on stage, 30 seconds maybe, you get one line, two line, three lines, something like that, and uh, you serve your purpose, and then you're off, never to be seen from again. And sometimes, big actors who have really big names, 
a lot of notoriety, a lot of star power, they will accept walk-on parts because they're really excited about the project. Either they really, really want to work with those people, they're really excited about those people, or they're just really psyched about the project. They're like, this is going to be epic. This is going to be amazing. I just want to be a part of it. That's all I want. Like Daniel Craig. Anyone know Daniel Craig? He's the current James Bond. So for the last 10 years, every time a James Bond movie comes out, he's the guy. His face is on every poster. He's on every talk show. He's everywhere. He is a star. Did you know that he's actually, he has a walk-on part in Star Wars The Force Awakens? He's, that's, that's the first one that got everything started like five years ago. It was not the terrible one that just came out um, a few years ago. Um, <laughs> shots fired, yeah. Um, so, so about five years ago, Force Awakens came out, and he was a stormtrooper. Like, he had three lines. He was on screen for 30 seconds, and he had a helmet on the whole time. Not usually something you'd expect from a movie star. But he took the role because he was like, it's Star Wars. Like, I get a chance to be in a Star Wars movie. Like, yeah, I'll take it, sure. Cool, that sounds awesome. But then there's other actors who, no matter how epic the movie is, no matter how great the people are, the stories, are no, no, no. They will willingly accept lesser projects, projects they can tell are going to be just garbage. TV shows, plays, movies, whatever. They'll take it because why? Because I get to be the lead. It's all about me. C.S. Lewis says that pride is the chief sin, meaning he believes that pride is the sin that all other sins hinge on. And we have this innate desire in us to put ourselves on the throne instead of God. We really do. God has this just insane, this crazy adventure planned in this world and for our lives. And oftentimes we'll be like, I'm not really sure where you're going to take me, God. I'm not really sure what this is going to be about. I'm not sure if I really like what I think you might be asking me to do. So I'm going to go ahead and step out. And I'm going to go ahead and live in this, in this story in my world that uh, it's under my control. It's all about me. Even if we take out the God part of it, we will do this in, in our lives in general. If on the big stage of our lives, all the, all the stuff that we have to do in our lives, if we're not getting enough attention, we'll shrink the stage. And some of you might be thinking, I don't like attention. I don't, I don't like being the center of attention. Okay. If you don't have enough control on the big stage, you'll shrink the stage. So you do have all the control. We do this. We create these pockets of our lives where we have the final say every time. We decide. Just as a couple of examples, simple examples. Maybe some of you have a mom or a dad like this or had a mom or a dad like this or maybe you knew someone who did. But imagine this, okay? The parent goes to work. They get no recognition. They get no respect. They're pushed around constantly, told what to do. They never get any positive attention, any positive feedback. So when they come home, what? They make sure everyone in that house knows, I am in charge of this household. And everyone in that house feels it. Everyone in that house knows it. All right, or what about teenagers? Okay, teenagers, we will often uh, lambast them for how they use their time, uh, but 
So many teenagers feel completely swept away by the waves of life. I mean, they, they are told what to do everywhere they go. They're constantly just laid new responsibilities, new expectations on them all the time. Like every six months, it's new expectations. Oh, okay, now you expect me to do this. Great. They have responsibilities on them that half of them they don't even care about. They don't not, they're not interested in that stuff. But okay, I'm responsible for it. They are surrounded by people who are busy and striving after the same thing, so it's really hard to get any real attention. They, have, they feel like they have no control over their lives. And so what do they do? They spend hours and hours on video games or social media. Right? Now why? I think at least part of the reason why is because they can control it. They play games that they can win. And if they're not winning over a couple days, then they'll go into practice mode or they'll pass this certain level that gets them more points and so their character can get different colored boots or a different weapon or something. Like, that's, they can control it. Or social media. They can control how they're perceived in a way that is not possible in real life. And to a certain degree, they can control how much attention they're getting. By, based on what they're posting, what they're putting out there. They think they can control more of what's coming in more than they can at school. But this also says something, just as a side note, um, why sometimes they can seem to get really upset over stuff that we would look at and go, why is that a big deal? Gee whiz, who cares? It's because it's the one thing they think they can control. And when it doesn't go the way they expect it, it's heartbreaking. It's that way for all of us, right? So what about, what about you? That's the real question. What is your kingdom that you've set up? We all have them. Maybe your kingdom looks like this. You can't control much in this world, but you control where the money goes. You say, only you say, where the money goes, where it gets spent, where it doesn't get spent. Right? You might be really good at saving it. You might be really good at spending it. But no one is going to tell you what to do with those funds, not even God. Or maybe your kingdom looks like this. You can't control much out there in this life, but your relationships, no one's going to tell you who you can love. No one's going to tell you who you can relate to. Nobody's going to tell you how to relate to other people. You are you. You do you. And other people might, they just might as well just take it or leave it. And that's it. God can't tell you anything on that. Or maybe your kingdom looks like this. <laughs> you can't control much out there. But... This time, this space, that television, that is your time. And that's not budging. No one can tell you. It's like there's a voice in your head going, This is my kingdom, and this remote is my sword. And I am in control here. This is my domain, and so I will decide. So there will be football. And then there will be basketball, and then there will be football again. And there will be leftover wings. I don't care if I already ate. There will be commercials, only the commercials that make me chuckle. And once a week, perhaps, 
There will be dancing with the stars because it makes me smile. <laughs> right? <laughs> Might not actually say that, but sort of ringing up there. What am I getting at? What's, <laughs> what's the point of all this? I'm saying that no matter who you are, no, ma no matter how little power or control you think you have, all of us struggle creating these pockets in our lives where we are the one in control and we fight to make sure that no one takes that away from us, not even God. And so, part of praying your kingdom come is praying something like, God, I want you to have control over all aspects of my life. If I'm holding something back from you, Jesus, show me what it is and help me to hand it over, even though I'm scared of what that might look like. God, if you know that I like to relax and you have designed me to need rest, but if there is something else you want me to do with my time, tell me and give me the strength and the love to actually do it. Or God, you know that I need relationships. You made me that way. But, but if you are asking me to behave differently in a relationship, if you're asking me to stop a relationship, if you're asking me to give more of myself in a relationship, would you show me? And would you give me the strength and the love to do it? Or God, would, would you... Show me more deeply, more clearly your love for me so that I'm not constantly living my life to try to impress and get recognition from other people. I want my whole life to be your kingdom. God, give me the strength to give you control even though I want control so badly. I believe your way is better than my way. Help me to trust you with all aspects of my life, my bank accounts, my relationships, my time. May it be your kingdom and your will be done, not mine. If you don't know um, who Elizabeth Elliot is, you should look her up after the service because this quote will mean a lot more. But regarding all of this, Elizabeth Elliot had this to say. She said, to pray, thy will be done. I must be willing, if the answer requires it, that my will be undone. That's tough. But let's keep going. What about kingdom? What about kingdom? Jesus talks a lot in the Gospels about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So you would think he has that in mind when he gives the prayer, your kingdom come. So first, just super basic context. The people who have studied this believe that he is separating this out when he speaks to the kingdom of God into two aspects of the same thing, into two sides of the same coin. Basically, Part of the kingdom, part one aspect of the kingdom is available right here, right now. 
And part of the kingdom is basically heaven. It's future. It's not yet, but it's coming. Okay? So as far as the right now part of, or aspect of the kingdom, we see this in verses like Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Or Luke 11.20. If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or Luke 17, 20, 21. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Some translations say the kingdom of God is within you. So you know what Jesus is typically doing when he brings up the kingdom of God like this, or the kingdom of heaven? He's, he's preaching that forgiveness is available or he's overcoming evil, or he's displaying God's power in some powerful way in people's lives. So that gives us a hint of what he's talking about with this aspect of the kingdom. But we also get this in Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. So that the focus of this kingdom, it's not a certain place. It's not even a certain people. The emphasis with this aspect of the kingdom is on God's rule, God's reign, God's ruling power. So putting this together, speaking of this aspect of the kingdom of God that is right now, it is however God displays his ruling power in this world or in our lives overcoming evil, healing people, changing people, transforming hearts and minds, drawing people out of his wrath and into his forgiveness. It is a hint of what is to come in eternity, but it's also a hint of what is available right now. Wait, am I saying that the kingdom that's, a, that's right now is a hint of what's available right now? Yeah. Yeah, because there's always more. There's always more. So part of praying your kingdom come is praying that whatever you have seen manifest in your life or in the lives of others or in this world in general, you're asking God to bring more of it. Praying, God, you have changed me. Would you change me more? God, you have you promised joy and you have given me joy more than I ever thought was possible but I'm asking for more or if you don't have it God you promise peace to your followers and I see other believers filled with peace in the midst of hard times but all I feel all the time is fear and anxiety so I'm asking for peace give me peace now God. Or if you're really bold, you might be praying, God, I see in your word, I see videos of other people, or maybe you've met someone, I see spiritual power in others. And I don't feel any of that. I have not experienced any of that. So you know what, God, I'm asking. I'm asking for spiritual power to glorify your name in this world. Either way, whichever version of this you're praying, you are surrendering your pride. You're saying, God, I'm not there. 
I'm not where I want to be with you, and I admit and I confess that I cannot get there on my own. I'm asking you, God, do what I cannot do. Give me what I cannot give myself. So then what about the future or the not yet aspect? It's shown in verses like Mark 14, 25. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. So not here, not now, it's some other place, some other time. John 18.36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. So it's not here, it's not now, it's some other place, some other time. So it's pointing to the future, it's pointing to heaven, pointing to the end of all things. There's a lot of verses that you'll find if you do a word search on kingdom where he's, you can see both the right now aspect of this and the future aspect of this. But when it comes to the future, we're talking about a time when Jesus and the Father are on the throne where all who have put their faith in him can actually see him with their eyes. His presence can be dwelled in. All sin and pain is removed. It's this eternal heavenly kingdom where everything good and pure and awesome in this world is magnified to an unimaginable degree. And that moves us to our last word. Come. Your kingdom come. You want to know the implications of praying for this, this future kingdom to come? In praying this, you're praying, Jesus, come back. Come and make your throne and your glory visible to all the world. Let there be no more questions of whether you are real or whether you are truly powerful or whether you are truly good. Let all, let none of those questions remain. Come, Jesus, and reign fully on this earth. But you want to know what you're really praying if you pray that? You're praying, you're confessing, you're admitting that there is nothing that you want more than God's full and complete presence. Nothing. There's nothing you would rather get done beforehand, nothing you would rather experience before he comes back around. It's not, well, I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, being with Jesus and being totally drenched in his glory forever and ever, but, you know, I got to admit, I'm really hoping that I get married first. Or I really hope that I have kids first. Or I really hope I get to see my kids grow up first. Or I really hope I get to taste some of that sweet, sweet retirement first. At least just a couple of years, Jesus, okay? It's none of that. It is fully praying your kingdom come is confessing that if Jesus chooses to continue his delay, if he chooses to give you some of those blessings, some of those things that you long for, great. That's, that's great. But... There is nothing, not one thing that you want more than him. Some of you might be like, yeah, well, that makes sense. Okay, I get it. And some of you might be like, hold me back. Hold me back. You, little man, don't even talk like that. Okay? Because I'm going to see my baby senior prom. I'm going to see it. Okay? She is going to wear a beautiful dress. She's going to have a pink corsage. She is going to, her date is going to be 6'2", respectful, and have adorable dimples. 
and they are going to take pictures in the front yard in front of the lilac bush that I plan on planting next summer. I will not miss that. So Jesus better wait, okay? Jesus better wait. <laughs> if you're thinking that, I get it. I really do. I get it. And that leads us into our last section of dealing with the difficulty or the discomfort with all this. But first, let's put it all together. Really praying and meaning your kingdom come would mean praying something like, God, would you remove whatever kingdoms I have built for myself? If there is anything I am keeping for myself, anything I'm holding on to so that I get all of the attention and I keep all of the control, anything I'm not letting you into, anything I'm not letting you rule over in my life, would you tear it down? Take down these barriers I have built and come in and take over. Let my entire life be your kingdom. I surrender it. It's yours, not mine. Please, Jesus, whatever good you have done in my life, whatever changes you have made in my heart, do more. Give me more. Whatever I'm lacking, Jesus, please bring it. Make me new. Give me all that I need to please you with my whole life, every moment, every word, every thought. Help me. Continue to transform me because there's nothing I want more than to bring you glory and to experience you. I want to experience your glory in my own life and see it covering this whole world. And I know that's not going to be fully possible until you come back. So Jesus, come back soon. Come back now. Because there's nothing I want more than you. And so now the problem. Some of you might be thinking, Eric, I'm not there. I cannot honestly say that I want any of this. I... I don't, if there are areas in my life that I don't think matches up with God who wants me to be, they're there because I want them there. I don't want to change in that way. I don't want to give God control over these areas of my life. I don't trust him with those areas of my life. Flat out. Or I can think of a hundred things that I would rather experience or I'd rather do before, before meeting Jesus, before being in his total glory. A hundred things. I understand. I so understand. But did you know there's a way of praying through that? I call it the, Mike, the Mark 924 principle. I know it's super catchy. In Mark 9... A father approaches Jesus, explaining to Jesus that his, his son had an evil spirit in him. It often threw him into violent seizures. Multiple times it almost killed him. And so he says to Jesus, he says, If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds, If you can. If? All things are possible for the one who believes. And the man responds with, Oh, I do believe. Help me. Help me in my unbelief. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? What, what is he lacking? Yeah, belief or faith. You know what is essential to relating to Jesus properly? Faith. So he's 
lacking faith, asking for faith, even though faith is what's needed to relate to Jesus. He's admitting to Jesus' face, I don't have faith in you. Would you give me more faith? And Jesus doesn't rebuke him for it. Jesus doesn't shout him down. He answers the man's prayer and heals his son, giving him more faith. I don't, I don't know if it's coming through how crazy this is. So let, a couple examples. Try this. Try it with your spouse, okay? Seriously, hus- husbands, go to your wife and say, sweetie, I, uh, I'm not attracted to you. Um, but, but I would like to be. And I think that would be really beneficial. Um, to me especially. So, uh, whatever you can do, sweetheart, um, just to help me be attracted to you. Okay? Yeah. I love you. Um, or, or go to your boss with this, okay? Hey, boss, uh, I've been thinking about it. I don't respect you at all. Um, at all, really. I, uh, and, and I think it would, it would really benefit me if I did. So whatever you can do uh, to help me respect you, I'd really appreciate it. All right, have a good weekend. I'll see you. Uh, give it a shot. See how that goes. That's a terrible idea. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay? God's mercy is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-N-A-S. It's nuts. It's seriously nuts. You can actually go to him and pray, God, I don't want to give you control, but I want to want to give you control. Or God, I don't, I don't love you like I should. I, I don't think I want you or desire you much at all, but I want to. Would you help me to love you? Would you help me to desire you? That's crazy. God, would you help me to even want to surrender my life to you? And then the question might come up. I'm going over time, but forgive me, just a few more minutes. The question might come up, why would I be even interested in that? Why should I be interested in even praying that? Why? And it comes back to that question. That question from the college girl. Is he worth it? To help answer that question, quick story. Some of you have heard it before. Um, So I apologize if you're hearing it for the second time, but most of you haven't. And it is a key, key story in my faith. So I feel like it's important. Um, I fell in love with my wife before I fell in love with Jesus. And so early on in our relationship when we were dating, I struggled mightily putting Jen ahead of Jesus. And God worked hard on me on that. I felt convicted. I felt crushed for a time. And I, would, I was wrestling and I did not want to give that up. And there was one night where I was driving home from her house, crossing the bridge, and 
just was getting nailed with this. And I just was like, God, how? How? I'm not going to throw her aside. I'm not going to break up with her. There's, not, there's no way that's going to happen. So show me how. How do I actually love you more than her? Because I, I don't know. And he spoke to me as clearly as he's ever spoken to me in my life. He said, Eric, just a, a side note, I, I was in wickedness. I was in just awful wickedness, and Jen was, in a lot of ways, very pure. And so she did not experience any of the things that I was swimming in before we started dating. And so God said, Eric, what if Jen could read a transcript of the things that you've done, just typed out? She'd break up with me? Okay. What if she could hear a recording of the things you've done? She'd never want to talk to me again. Okay. What if she could see a video of the things you've done? She'd probably throw up. She'd want to forget that she ever knew me. She'd run away. Okay. You didn't even know her when you did those things. You weren't sinning against her. But everything that you did, you were sinning against me, and I was in the room. And I have pursued you. I am pursuing you. That was it. That struggle was done. Is he worth it? Is he worth wanting to surrender your whole life to? Man, he loves you more than anyone could possibly love you. He has pursued you more than anyone could possibly pursue you. He went to the cross over your sins when he could have stopped it at any moment. The life that he promises at the end has no pain, no fear, no anxieties, where he himself is the light and there is no night. The life he promises here on this world, in this world is joy and peace. Yes, he's worth it. He is worthy of your surrender. In one minute, there's no time. We're so over time. I really apologize, but there's papers under your chair. All I'm asking is over the course of the next 90 seconds, I want you to actually do something with this. I'm positive for every single one of us, there's something out of this that you're like, yeah, I struggle with that. Be specific. What is it? Don't write all of it. What is the specific thing out of this that you're like, I, <laughs> I need to pray about this? about wanting to even love him more? Is it some aspect of your life that you're not surrendering? That you know God's wanting? Give me control in this area. That you're holding back from him? What is it? Just take a few seconds, think about it, write down what that is, and then right now, start praying. Because it's not going to be one prayer. 
It's not going to be answered in one prayer. Spiritual warfare is real. There's going to be a battle over this in your life. So this is the first prayer of an ongoing prayer that God would give you deliverance in this way. So go ahead. I'll be quiet. Just think to yourself. Write it down and pray over yourself. And I'll, I'll pray for us in just a little bit.